that's online, as well as those who are worshiping with us in person. If you're new to our Sunday gathering, I want to give you an idea of what to expect. First, we're going to worship the Lord through song. And if you know those songs, you can go ahead and join along and sing with us. And if not, you can relax and lay back and work and enjoy the music. And secondly, we're going to take some time to pray and then open God's word. We're going to learn about how his wisdom impacts our relationships with one another and our everyday life. But first, I want you to just, just take a moment with me and invite you to pause. I want to invite you to rest in the Lord and just be present with God and present with one another. So if you want, you can close your eyes and just take a couple of deep breaths. First Peter, 1, 1 Peter 5 and 7 says that we can give all of our worries to the Lord because he cares for us. He is fully aware and in control of everything and he knows what challenges we face every day. So I just want to invite you for the next 50 minutes to just lay those cares aside and rest in the Lord. And let's learn about what his word says about our lives today. So if you would in the room and even at home, go ahead and stand with us as we worship the Lord together in song now. Amen. Let's lift our voices and sing it out this morning. There is a shaking, let our hearts awaken. Our God is moving, forever changing us. There is a trembling, there is revival. The sound of worship, so great and glorious. Our prayer. Holy Spirit, hear us now. Breathe on us, holy fire fall. Come and fill this place with your presence. Like a rushing wind, send your spirit here. Breath of heaven, breathe on us. Breath of heaven, breathe on us. That's right. shake let our hearts awaken our God is moving forever changing us there is a dream there is revival the sound of worship so great and glorious Holy Spirit hear us now breathe on us Lift 
in this place. Lord, if you don't meet us here, if your spirit doesn't meet us here, we're just making noise. So God, we pray and we thank you for your spirit in this place. You said in your word where two or three are gathered together in your name that you are there in the midst. So we acknowledge your presence in this place today. God, in this room and in our lives, we lift our hands and our hearts to you and worship, Lord, for all you've done and yet to do and who you are. We pray all these things in your son, Jesus Christ's name. And the church said together, amen, amen. And find a seat. Uh, well, welcome to Christ Church. Uh, my name is Steve Noble. I have the privilege of serving on staff here at the church. And I am thrilled to be worshiping alongside you, whether you are joining us online on one of our many digital platforms or joining us here in the room. We are thrilled to be worshiping alongside you. We are truly one church in many locations this Sunday morning. I'd like to extend a, a particularly warm welcome to anyone who might be joining us new for the first time this Sunday morning or joining us for one of the first times. We're so glad that you're here with us. We would love for you to feel and know that you are welcome here at Christ Church. If there's any way that we can help you get connected, we want to be active in doing so. Um, there's a number on the screen right now. Um, you can text that number. You can visit our webpage. If you navigate the website, you can find my email address. Shoot me an email even. I would love to help you get connected here at Christ Church. We are all about helping this community stay united, stay connected in this season. One note for you as we continue in worship this morning, uh, we're, we've become increasingly aware of, of a growing of food insecurity in our communities and the communities around us. Northwestern came out with a study recently that indicated that food insecurity among families with children has grown over 300% in 2020. 
And a huge piece of that is just because kids are getting food normally at school, and when they're not going to school, that it can be more and more challenging for parents to feed their, their kids. And so we as a church, we want to be so active in helping our communities, and we want to help allow you to be a part of that change. Our food pantry in this season has become even more of a vital resource. So many of you guys have given generously to our food pantry over the past seven months. If that's you, thank you. Thank you for the work you are doing. Thank you for supporting the people in our communities who need help. But the need continues. As we approach the holiday season, that need is only going to get bigger. And so we want to keep putting this in front of our community. We want you to see and know that you can have an impact in our communities. There's a a URL on the screen, a link on the screen. You can go there, go to our website, and see some of the things that we um, are in need of at our food pantry. And if you yourself find yourself in a time of instability or insecurity, please let us help you. Go to that same link, and there are notes for how you can, um, can benefit from that resource. Now, church in 2020 has felt in many ways challenging. Uh, it, it, it's different. Uh, we are worshiping different. It's different to be separated all over the western suburbs and separated even in this room. Something that has been a, a, a point of, of contact for my wife and I at Christ Church has been our small group. While we are mourning in many ways the loss of this, the normalcy here, we have really benefited from being surrounded by a group of people who are, are encouraging us and supporting us and drawing us closer into Jesus. And normally on a Sunday for us, we would save seats in this room. We would meet each other in the commons or in the atrium, and we would have a cup of coffee together. We can't do this right now, but, but we want to remind ourselves, remind you that we are one church even though we are separated this morning. And so the band's going to play a song and it talks about unity. And so as you hear this song, as you read the verses on the screen, you you hear the lyrics of this song, I want you to be encouraged or reminded that though we feel separated right now, we are united. We have an opportunity to be united together in the name of Jesus. So as this song plays, I want to challenge you to to shoot a text to the people that you normally would look forward to seeing on a Sunday morning. Send an email maybe later today. Give a hug to your family on the couch next to you, but let the people, let your people know that you love them, that you are with them, that you are for them, that we are a church united together. Now, friends, it's time for us to continue in worship by giving to God his tithes and our offerings. This is a time where we who are part of the Christ Church family have an opportunity to, to participate actively in the work of this church within the building and outside these building walls. And so let's worship God in that way, giving to God his tithes and our offerings and trust him that he will take our small gifts and he will magnify that. He will multiply that for his good purposes.
Jesus in your love, let division cease, spirit grant us peace, bless the Trinity, make us one like you are. Burning cold on the graveyard We are the darkness And you're a thousand stars The wrecking ball for our wounded one Don't know us by our love Don't know us by our love What will become of us If all we want is blood Father make us one New humanity Jesus in your love, let division cease, Spirit grant us peace, place the Trinity, make us one like you are, make us one like you are, oh beautiful, broken as redeemed. Come on. 
Well, good morning and welcome to Christ Church. I am Pete Stearns and I'm our pastor of Family Ministries. And Dan kicked us off on a series last week called 1221. And it's entitled 1221 because uh, at the end of this series, the climax of this series, we will focus on Romans chapter 12, verse 21. But we also liked that 1221 was a palindrome. We felt that it was representative of the times and the country that we live in today. A country that seems to be divided over ideology, over politics, over religion. Quite simply put, we live in divided times. And it seems that we are perpetually told that we need to pick sides. Our country feels polarized around issues that, in many cases, we don't know all that much about. And rarely have we experienced them ourselves. Our social media is bombarded by angry political messages. Our TVs drone on for hours with various political commentaries and news stories of division. We are divided on issues of politics. We are divided on issues of public health. We are divided on issues of social justice. We are divided on conversations around faith. And we are left shaking our fingers in disgust at those that find themselves on the other side of the line. We have assumed that if they could just see it our way, if they could just understand our perspective, then we could fix all of this mess that we're living in. And oftentimes, if you're anything like me, you have fallen into the temptation to justify your self-righteous attitude by projecting upon the other the worst possible stereotype. You see... We have grouped everyone together because it's a lot easier for us to justify our behavior if we can assume the very worst in everyone else. One might hope that the church would be a safe haven from this type of division. That we would be a place of healing, of restoration, of reconciliation, that we would be a place of humility, of thoughtful listening and dialogue. But I have found that more often than not, the church at large is a microcosm of the brokenness of our country. In fact, oftentimes, the church is seemingly more divided around issues of politics than any other entity in our country. It seems that we as believers are eager to stand up on our soapbox, whether that soapbox is blue or red, and point out the deficiencies of everyone else, shaking our fists at their abhorrent behaviors and beliefs. But let me be honest, I have never seen a heart that was transformed at the end of an angry dialogue. 
I have never witnessed a life that was shaped by shame and guilt, and I have never seen worldviews that were changed over endless political badgering. You see, we as believers need to recognize our role as being countercultural in engaging in the division, being willing to stand in the gap, to offer a picture to our world of what restoration looks like so that we together, having a plethora of gifts and talents and mindsets and worldviews, might actually seek creative solutions to the brokenness of our world. And you see, it is within this heart that Paul writes to the church of Rome in the book of Romans. You see, Paul is writing the book of Romans to do two things, to lay a theological groundwork for the church, but also to bring unity to the people there. And you see, the church of Rome was experiencing some rather unique turmoil during the season in which this letter was written. You see, the Romans had come together as believers under Christ, both as Jews and as Gentiles. It was a church with great diversity of background and tradition. And they were worshiping with one another. They were following after this new way. They had heard the gospel message and the Jews had recognized it as the answer to the prophecies and the Gentiles had recognized it as a refreshing new way of living in this world. But you see, something happened that was entirely out of their control, which created some significant division for the church. The emperor at the time, Claudius, expelled all Jews from Rome. Now, we're not entirely clear as to why he kicked out all of the Jewish people. We're not totally sure how that actually took place, but we know that all of the Jews were forced to be banned from any sort of religious dialogue institution. They were uh, not allowed to gather with one another. They were kicked out of this great city of Rome. And five years later, they were then welcomed back into their homes. And you see, it is in this moment, as the Jews come back into the communities that they left five years ago, that Paul writes this letter. Because these Jewish believers come back to a church that looks nothing like it did when they left. You see, they recognize that these Gentiles, they didn't hold the same values for their traditions. These Gentiles were rather captivated by the movement of Christ and his Holy Spirit on, on his gospel message, but they had no context to understand the Mosaic law. You see, they had let go sacraments and traditions that were held near and dear to the Jewish believers, and so as they came back, rightfully so, they felt hurt, neglected, and ignored, and that led to a brokenness within this church. Now, I'll recognize that this is different than political division, but in many ways, it expresses itself similarly. They are divided on lines of tradition. They are divided on lines of methodology, of opinion, but they are united in their pursuit of 
Christ. And you see, Paul writes this letter to them because he recognizes that in the midst of this division, the church is unable to fulfill its purpose of bringing Christ and his gospel to all nations. In fact, on top of just being an influential church, Paul recognizes Rome as a strategic base camp for further missionary journeys that will allow him to go into Spain to spread the word to people that have never heard it before. And in order to do so, he believes that the Roman church must be a united commissioning ground that can begin to transform the world around them. You see, we too are living in a divided time. And we too as a church should recognize that our primary goal is to become a commissioning ground through which we can go out and transform our world. Through which in the midst of the darkness that surrounds us, we can shine light that is different, that is bright, that is unique, that is collaborative, that is creative. And when we do that, we can glorify God in a way that reconciles his kingdom that has been broken. And so today, we're going to be jumping into Romans 12, 3 through 8, to look to Paul to give us some advice for how we can seek unity amidst our division. And so we open first to Romans 12, 3. We're going to break this passage into three basic sections, each of which has a poignant truth for us to live into. So Romans chapter 12, 3 says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So as Paul is speaking to this divided Roman church, this church that is divided over issues of opinions, of methodologies, over sacraments, he says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Do not assume that your way is the best way, but rather, with sober judgment, be critical of yourself in accordance to the faith that has been poured out upon you by Jesus Christ. You see, I find that in conversations of politics and world affairs, very rarely do we start from a place of humility. Very rarely do we sit in a place of introspection and ask ourselves, how are my worldviews tainted and flawed? But instead, more often than not, we look at the other side and quickly recognize their flawed line of thinking. But you see, as believers, one truth that we can all agree on is that we are broken and sinful people. And aside from the grace of God, we would anguish in our fallenness. And so if we are broken and sinful, if we are incomplete pictures of who God has created us to be, then isn't it safe to assume that our thinking 
that our worldviews, that our ideologies, that, that our political platforms are also flawed? That they also fall short of the glory of God? Can't we all agree that there's probably not a, a specific party that is all-encompassing of the Christian moral ethic that fits perfectly with the gospel message that we claim to call sovereign in our life? And if we can agree with that, then shouldn't we enter into places of dialogue around faith and politics from a place of humility, looking inwardly with a desire to shape our views in light of Christ and the faith that he has poured out upon us? You see, Tim Keller is a pastor in New York. And I was recently watching a video of his about how we as pastors should engage in conversations of politics. And what Tim Keller said is that as Christians, we should be far more concerned in reforming our own political party and our own political thinking than we are in reforming the other side of the aisle. Very rarely has the Democratic platform changed because the Republicans yelled loud enough. Very rarely has the Republican policies changed because the Democrats started shaking their fist. But you see, when we've seen reform in our nation, it has come internally. And it points to this humility. If our desire is to glorify God, then our desire is not to be right, but instead to invite him into our thinking, into our ideologies, and into our political platforms. You see, Paul continues, recognizing that the foundation for seeking collaborative, creative solutions that meet the needs of our world and bring light into the darkness, the foundation of that is always self-examination. It is always humility. It is always laying your life before God and checking it against his standards. But then he says, for just as each of us has one body with many members or parts, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You see, what a powerful juxtaposition from that first verse. That first verse is calling us to examine our fallenness, to be honest with our brokenness, to, to recognize our failures. And this verses four and five then call us to shift and look for the best in everyone else, recognizing that we are all united as one body under the headship of Christ. And that each part of our body is going to look different from the next, but we all belong to one another. You see, I think we have this backwards in the world that we live in. We are told to recognize our own strengths, our own truth, while pointing out the failures and flaws of everyone else and Paul says, if we are going to be a transformative community, we need to flip the script and we need to look at our own brokenness and our own failure while looking for the best in everyone else. 
You see, I find that more often than not, whether in conversations of politics or chores around the house, I fall into the temptation to assume the worst in everyone else until proven otherwise. I mean, think about the last time uh, someone canceled on you last minute. Maybe you were preparing a meal and they were going to come over and, and something came up and they shot you a text saying they couldn't make it or they called you and let you know that they couldn't make it. How many of us, our first response was frustration and anger? How many of us shook our heads and said, that's just like this person? They're always so flaky. I imagine very few of us thought to ourselves, wow, they might be going through something right now. They might be experiencing a crisis that, that could need some prayer right now because if, if I were to cancel like that last minute, something really serious must have come up in my life. And, and how many of us instead would be led to prayer because we assumed the best in our friend? How many of us, uh, when picking up a cup or a plate that was left out by our spouse, immediately shook our heads thinking this is just like Pete? This is a personal one. I do this all the time. How many of us, when we see someone post something, an article online, without reading the article, look at the title and just say, they must be one of those people. And immediately find ourselves stirred to anger. Or have we ever received a text message that was slightly strangely worded or seemed out of character for our friend, but instead of showing them the benefit of the doubt, immediately assumed that they were being hateful or hurtful in this message? You see, Paul tells us that if we are going to be a church that is a commissioning ground, if we are going to be a place that shapes our world and brings light to the darkness, then we must look for the best in others. We must assume that they are pursuing Christ and they, like us, are flawed and broken people, and they're going to have missteps along the way. But our goal is not to identify their missteps, but instead to look for Christ in their life. And in doing so, we are invited into a thoughtful dialogue. We are able to listen, to hear them in a different way. The state of Utah has a fairly interesting political race going on. Uh, for the position of governor. They have a Republican and Democrat that are campaigning against one another, but they're doing so in a rather countercultural way. You see, Chris Peterson and Spencer Cox have recently launched ad campaigns uh, so that they might find themselves elected. But their ad campaigns are different than others that I have seen. You see, instead of heralding all of the good things that they will bring about if elected or pointing out all the, fall, the failures in, in their rival if they are elected, they've chosen to do their ads together, standing side by side. And one of my favorite quotes from their commercial goes like this. Our common values 
transcend our political differences. We just have different opinions on how to achieve those ideals. You see, if a Republican and Democratic candidates for governor in the state of Utah can recognize that their values of democracy and freedom and justice transcend their opinions and methods on how to get there, shouldn't we as a church be able to recognize that our common pursuit of Christ that is the head of one body, shouldn't we be able to recognize that that should transcend our political party lines? And because we trust and respect the other to be in a personal relationship with Christ, shouldn't we want to understand their thinking, how they have thoughtfully and prayerfully come to the conclusions they've come to? You see, Paul in this passage calls us to flip the script. He calls us to be critical of ourselves rather than others. And he calls us to celebrate others rather than ourself. And he recognizes this as the key of resolving the division in a church that is broken over traditions, over methods, over ideologies. And he says that when we do this, we as a church can shape our world. He continues in verses six through eight. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You see, Paul says that one of the greatest gifts that we as a church have is that we have a variety of gifts, of talents, of passions, of thought, and we are all united together and that we should actually celebrate our differences rather than try to conform everyone to fit within the box in which we have found ourselves for most of our life. He says in the celebration of those gifts, the church becomes a better picture of Christ's gospel and who he intended his bride to be. You see, Steve Jobs, who is famous for his leadership of Apple, uh, also was the CEO of Pixar during a brief hiatus between his founding of Apple and, and his finishing his career there. And Pixar, most of us know as uh, the animated genius that created Toy Story. But when Steve Jobs took over Pixar, they were at their uh, really ground level stage. And, and he was tasked with choosing a location upon which they would place their campus. And so as they looked at different uh, plots of land to purchase um, in order to uh, develop their headquarters, he was working with architects. And the architects uh, envisioned a plan in which they would develop three buildings that would make up the entire campus. And each of those buildings would house one of the segments 
of Pixar's company. In one building, you would have all of your creatives. You would have your storytellers and your animators. They would work together, and in this space, they would have ideas that were flowing. They could reinvent their their thinking as they pushed forward to tell stories in a powerful way. In the second building, you would have all of your tech. You would have your programmers, your computer scientists. You would have your developers, and, and they would all work together. And working alongside each other, they could reinvent how uh, they produced tech on the big screen. And then in the final building, you would have all of your business people. You would have your accountants, your your finance people, your, your managers. And they would work together to make sure that they could provide a face for this company that was built in the other two buildings. And Steve Jobs says, let's scrap all of that. In fact, I have a different vision. We're going to build one massive building that will house everyone. And in the center of that building, we will create this atrium. An atrium that will be filled with a cafeteria, coffee shops, foosball, ping pong, but also it will have all of the mailboxes across the entire company and it will have every bathroom in this building is all centralized in this one atrium. Why? Because he thought the key to innovation was unplanned collaboration. And he thought if there is a way to force my creatives and my tech and my business people all to be together in one space, they will accidentally experience solutions that will innovate. And sure enough, we know how the rest of the story went. Pixar reinvented digital animation. They changed the way that we engage in children's movies. They changed the way we tell stories. And Jobs attributes that to this atrium approach, to this recognition that we are not intended to all be the same, but instead, in our diversity of gifting and thought, we can collaborate with one another and we can produce innovative thoughts and solutions. I think in many ways, this is what Paul was telling the church of Rome. He was telling them to celebrate the diversity of gifts that they had and to trust that each of them were living into their giftings in a way that glorified God. And if they could trust that they were each living into their giftings and their passions for God's glory, then as a church, They could transform the world that they lived in. You see, what if Christ Church became this atrium? What if it was a place in which we were able to dialogue with one another? We were able to celebrate each other's differences. What if it was a place where we didn't just keep our mouth quiet until we got home to post something online, but instead we actually came with humility in a way that invited unplanned collaboration. I am convinced that if we can become this kind of church, if Christians can be grounded in humility and look for the best in their fellow believer, then we as a church filled with Republicans and Democrats and independents 
will be able to thoughtfully engage with our world in a way that produces innovative thinking that can bring restoration and healing to the brokenness that we see everywhere around us. We will never all be the same. We will never all hold the exact same values. But we must trust instead that we are united underneath one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we admit that we live in divided times. And Lord, we also admit that in many cases, we enthusiastically engage in that division. Lord, we as Christians have not been countercultural. We as Christians have allowed our minds and our worldviews to conform with the ways of the world. And in doing so, we have bought into the myth that we are right and they are wrong. And Lord, when we lean on that kind of understanding, we eliminate you from the conversation entirely. Lord, I pray that we would place you first. Lord, in humility, that we would recognize our flaws and our failures in all of the places we fall desperately short of your glory. That, Lord, we would look at our fellow brother and sister in Christ, recognizing your image in them. And Lord, having done so, I pray that we would engage in the tough conversations of life in a way that allows your church to be a commissioning ground for your gospel and for your light in a dark world. We pray this in your name. Amen. Friend for
Friends, if you felt challenged by this passage today, I would encourage you uh, to go online and listen to Sue Ann Camfield's reflection on this same verse from our 9 a.m. service. Uh, I am always so impressed by her uh, thoughtful theology and how she is able to engage with God's word. But now let us receive this benediction that comes to us from the Apostle Paul as he speaks to a divided church and he calls them to unity in Christ. He says, "For By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, And these members do not have all the same function. So in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Amen.